Thank you, President Worthen, and good morning, dear students, and faculty, and colleagues here at BYU. Special greetings today also to our nationwide television and radio audience tuning in via BYU TV and BYU Radio. Now, on behalf of our entire staff behind the cameras and microphones at BYU Broadcasting, may I first say how much we enjoy bringing these inspiring devotionals to you each and every week. And may I also say with equal certainty that on behalf of one justifiably terrified member of our staff today, that it's a lot more pleasant being behind those cameras and microphones than in the front. Now, I know you came here on this beautiful October day expecting a devotional, but instead I want to invite you to take a hike with me. Well, actually make that a climb with me. And if it's heights that bother you, don't worry. As a confirmed acrophobic myself, I promise we're going to be cautious. You should know that I subscribe completely to the sentiments of Mark Twain, who once quipped, there is probably no pleasure equal to the pleasure of climbing a dangerous alp. But it is a pleasure which is confined strictly to people who can find pleasure in it. Well, despite my fears, my aim today is to convince you that no matter how rocky the road ahead may look or how distant the summit may seem, that your effort is worth it. So I simply want to urge you onward and upward in your journey because I promise you that wherever you are on the path, what awaits you is, in the words of Joseph Smith, a view that is glorious beyond description. Now, speaking of incredible views, just to the east of us in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains is a dramatic mountain known as Y Mountain. It's called Y Mountain because of the 380-foot-tall by 130-foot-wide block Y, the trumpets to the world that nestled at its base sits the campus of Brigham Young University. But it wasn't always Y Mountain. Y Mountain, you see, was originally known by its Ute Indian name, Wadahikawi, which is a 14-letter word which translated literally means blessed mountain. Now, I was thinking it's a good thing they opted to do just one letter because by my calculations, 14 letters at that scale would have covered most of the Wasatch Front from Provo to Payson (laughs) and maybe beyond. But painting just one letter on the mountain was never the plan. In April of 1906, the concept was to put the letter B, the letter Y, and the letter U on the mountain. But after a fire line of high school and university students working feverishly for six hours, passing bucket load after bucket load of whitewash up the mountain, they were only able to complete the letter Y. In a wise reconsideration, it was decided that one letter would be adequate. Well, with your permission today, but I should add, without President Worthen's, I'm sorry, President Worthen, or the National Forest Service, I might add, I have decided today to not only remodel the single letter on Y Mountain, but also rename it. Because I believe there's an argument to change it into a similar sounding, yet somewhat more rhetorical and profound message, Y Mountains. Now, although this little change took hundreds of thousands of bucket loads of white pixels to pull off this very audacious act. I took this liberty in the hopes that every time you hike or even glance up at Y Mountain, or for the next time you might be faced with a mountainous challenge, that you will simply ponder the blessed question, Why Mountains? 
Why do we have mountains, and why are we so compelled to get on top of them? Is it simply because they are there, as the mountaineer George Mallory's pithy quote suggested? Or are there grander, higher, and even divine purposes in these pinnacles? Well, since the beginning, one of the reasons we don't just admire mountains but feel so compelled to climb and conquer them is because of the fundamental and foundational truth that we, as eternally progressing beings, are predisposed to take on challenges. That's an essential underpinning of God's plan of happiness. So you and I are divinely engineered to be dynamic and not static. Being in motion is requisite to progression. So we instinctively crave sacred summits, like the temple, general conference, or that summit of summits, heaven. And so even hard and uphill journeys, like life, for instance, can't help but foster and develop both our progress and a priceless byproduct of that effort, which is faith. Now, conversely, travel limited to flat or inclined roads impedes our progression or even can foster laziness. Consider Alma's strong caution about the casualness created by level roads when he said, O my son, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way. So think of mountains and the inherent challenge they pose as being good for our souls. Learning how to deal with and overcome things we perceive as hard betters and improves us. That includes many of life's summits, such as graduation and missions, and yes, budding relationships trying to blossom into eternal ones. Now, this myriad of essential life steps can easily be viewed as hard roads. But the truth is, all hard roads eventually merge with heavenly roads. So why mountains? Well, mountains like those before us in this big-time adventure called life tempt us. They terrify us. They test us, and they try us. Mountains stretch us, break us down, and can sometimes even bring us to an exasperated halt. At the same time, they stir our souls. They inspire us, and they have this transformative ability to rekindle hope to steal our resolve, and to hone our faith step by courageous step. This mandates a never-before-thought-possible ability to push ourselves even sometimes to unthinkable heights. For it is only in testing our limits that we find out how limitless we are. It is only when we push ourselves beyond our perceived capacity that we discover within ourselves the courage, fortitude, and faith to continue the journey. As the Australian mountaineer Greg Child so aptly put it, somewhere between the bottom of the climb and the summit is the answer to the mystery, why we climb. And as if an uphill climb isn't enough, one common challenge of any high-altitude journey is that there is usually always some kind of pesky obstacle that inevitably pops up in our path. Most often this happens at inopportune and unexpected times. And no matter the size, shape, or form, unforeseen obstructions can discourage, detour, and even derail the strongest and most determined person. Those are the times when someone might rightly ask, is this really worth it? Or, I don't see any way around this. To which I unequivocally say, yes, it is worth it. It is so worth it. And yes, you will get through it if you decide to. Because continuing on is simply a matter of first accepting and embracing the doctrinal reality that obstacles are an essential 
and embraceable feature of the plan and the pathway of happiness, and that the covenant pathway is not only oftentimes uphill, but that it is strewn end-to-end with these aggravating hurdles and hitches. President Dallin H. Oaks affirmed that problem-solving is an inherent part of the plan. All of us face obstacles, said President Oaks. All of us have challenges. We all walk paths that lead us toward heights we think we cannot ascend. Sooner or later, we all stand at the foot of cliffs we think we cannot scale. Note that President Oaks referred to cliffs that we think we cannot scale. Often our perception of what we think we can and cannot do is far different from the reality of what we can and cannot do. And I believe that we are more limited by our desire than we are by our capacity. The English language idiom, making a molehill out of a mountain, captures perfectly the phenomenon that occurs when someone like me makes too big of a deal over an obstacle, which in reality is truly pretty small. Now, to be sure, there are very real, dark, chronic, and sometimes even major physical, emotional, and spiritual problems that many people unfortunately face. And I do not intend for a moment to minimize or be dismissive of the myriad of very vexing issues which many, including some of you here today, face on a daily basis. But what I've found as I've analyzed my personal struggles is that the reality is most of these really are more molehills than Mount Everest. Elder Horacio Tenorio of the 70 gave an interesting perspective on those obstacles and about the remarkable traits that emerge within us when we find the fortitude to move beyond these impediments. Problems form an important part of our lives. They are placed in our path for us to overcome them, not to be overcome by them. We must master them and not let them master us. Every time we overcome a challenge, we grow in experience, in self-assuredness, and in faith. One summer, nearly 25 years ago, I learned about this firsthand as my adventure-loving wife, Linda, somehow persuaded me, her frady cat husband, and a small group of our friends to join her in doing something she had dreamed of since she was a little girl. And that was to summit a 13,770-foot peak in Wyoming known as the Grand Teton. And while it was her biggest dream, I have to tell you, it was more like my biggest nightmare. My feelings were best summed up by the comedian George Carlin, who once said, I don't really have a fear of heights, but I do have a fear of falling from those heights. Now, admittedly, as rugged and daunting as the Teton Range appears, it really is one of the most stunning and postcard-perfect mountain panoramas in the world, and especially so for me when viewed from the bedrock security of the valley floor, which is where I preferred. But it wasn't these mountains and their breathtaking summits that terrified me. Rather, it was that moment which I will forever remember in our mountaineering school when I first learned about a fabled and much-storied obstacle that we would face on the route to the top. Now, in reality, it was just a simple yet very technical rock protrusion. But from the minute I heard about it, I started to get nervous. Brad Weiners, writing in an article for Sports Illustrated about climbing the Grand Teton, and which, by the way, didn't exactly quell my anxiety with the article's headline, which was Countdown to Tragedy, right? (laughs) 
Mr. Winders called out the main obstacles on this iconic mountain. He said, the real challenge of climbing the Grand Teton isn't maneuvering on rock. It's the exposure. That is, exposure to dizzying falls. As long as you're fit, you can handle the physical effort of summiting the mountain. But you have to ramp up your courage for certain features, such as a large flake of rock on a ledge that requires you to go up and over the flake or out and around it, over a deep abyss. It's terrifying or exhilarating or both. Well, for me, there was no debate. It was terrifying. And how ironic, though, was it that in a climb that would take two days and thousands of vertical feet, that the scariest part to me was just a single small step right in the very middle of the ascent. Now, that step, officially called the Wall Street Step Across, is no more than three feet wide. It's part of the fabled Wall Street section of the Exum route, and it marks the beginning of where the ascent of the Grand gets very serious. You begin by climbing onto a very comfortable 15-foot-wide ledge, but as you inch your way along this ramp, often in the darkness, it ever so slowly but dramatically begins to tilt outwards while narrowing down to a width of no more than a few feet across at the abrupt end of the ledge. Now, at that point, there's a gap in the rock and then that abyss referred to in Sports Illustrated. Across this gap of less than a meter is an outcropping of rock which forms a blind corner. This requires the climber to take an unforeseen step around this corner where you hopefully find footing on the other side of the ledge. That's right, you can't see where you are stepping. And as if a blind step isn't scary enough, you step across this gap with nothing but 1,500 feet of very thin, frosty air floating beneath you. Now, all during the long hike to the base camp the day before, I agonized over this little problem I was going to encounter. That night, I found it difficult to eat. And obsessing over and over about this simple step kept me wide-eyed and literally sleepless the entire night before the summit attempt. Now, in hindsight, it wasn't that I was incapable of making the step. It was a very simple move for me and actually for any of you. A step of that kind in any other situation would have been no big deal. Reflecting on it later, it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was simply that I didn't have the courage to conquer this particular fear. Which is the interesting thing about fear. Fear can freeze us. It can paralyze us. It can stop us in our tracks and keep us from moving forward. This gripping chokehold suffocates our sapling faith. And without that faith, we cannot move forward. Elder Boyd K. Packer affirmed that faith is both the beacon and the propellant that keeps us on our journey. Said Elder Packer, faith to be faith must center around something that is not known. Faith to be faith must go beyond that for which there is confirming evidence. Faith to be faith must go into the unknown. Faith to be faith must walk to the edge of the light and then a few steps into the darkness. Well, as students, you may be feeling that stifling fear as you face what the late apostle to Robert D. Hales described as the decade of decision. In summing up the road before you, Elder Hales observed that in the next 10 years or so, you must step to the edge of the light and even a few steps beyond as you engage the major decisions of your life. 
These include school, missions, temple, dating, marriage, career, graduate school, and especially forming and firming up your testimony of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, considered all at once, the sheer size and number of these perceived obstacles may look like an avalanche headed your way. It might even cause you to momentarily lose sight of the summit beyond them. Taking them on all at once can be overwhelming or sometimes even debilitating. Or decisions can be tackled one at a time, using a combination of faith, courage, and simply taking that very first step, and then another, and then another, until we find ourselves moving again towards that summit. And tough as those first few steps can be, I will tell you that nothing is exhilarating as simply putting ourselves back in motion. It's so freeing that it neutralizes fear within us because it causes us to dig deep to find the courage to conquer anything on our horizon. That courage is the catalyst of faith. Faith, which, as you know, cannot commingle with fear. But it will exact a full-throated effort on your part. President M. Russell Ballard talked of the price to be paid when he said, It will require every bit of our strength, wisdom, and energy to overcome the obstacles that will confront us. But even that will not be enough. We will learn, as did our pioneer ancestors, that it is only in faith, real faith, whole-souled, tested, and tried, that we will find safety and confidence as we walk our own perilous pathways through life. Now, I somehow believe it or not, found that kind of faith on that very summer morning nearly a quarter of a century ago. And as you ponder your approach to that next critical step looming somewhere in your life, let me tell you what I did. Our seasoned guide, Jack, would be the first one to take that step. And just as he had done in our beginning and intermediate mountaineering class, Jack promised he would lead and show us the way. At base camp, he assured me he had full confidence in my ability, and he would not let me fail. Well, as I sat there crouched and shivering against that rock ledge on that very nervous, scary morning, I marveled as he deftly and confidently made the move across the gap and stepped around the corner. Now, not hearing a fading scream echoing off the rocks, (laughs) I was pretty sure he made it safely. But then came the really scary realization that as the weakest climber in our group, I would be next. Then, just after concluding my 687th prayer of that morning, (laughs) I found myself at a very critical juncture in this climb as I heard the chilling invitation coming from our unseen guide around the corner as he said, climb, Michael. Well, it was go time. There was no turning back and no other reasonable option. Although I pondered everything from a parachute to a helicopter to a hang glider. But in that moment, and after a very deep and calming breath, I somehow bubbled up enough courage to make a very simple decision. And here's what I decided. I decided that instead of churning over and over again about what disaster might befall me, I would instead focus on the basics and on my guide's example. In other words, I would rely on all the fundamentals I'd been taught in mountaineering school. In other words, I would only worry about the things I had control over. 
And in that same moment, I visualized my ultimate goal. And as I saw myself, hands raised in a triumphant manner, stepping proudly onto the summit of that Grand Teton, the doomsday scenarios, which I had so vividly rehearsed and played out in my head over and over again during the preceding days, faded quickly to the background. Unexpectedly, a very warm feeling of calmness and assurance washed over me. And that feeling was faith. Faith sufficient to displace the fear and backfill it with the courage I needed. Now, this infusion of faith also allowed me to find focus. And even if my legs were wobbly, I will tell you that my faith was firm. I stepped to the edge, locked my focus like a laser on that rock across the gap, and felt committed and self-assured as I ever have. I did not look back, and I'll tell you, I certainly did not look down. But instead, I did everything I was taught and capable of and took that step. Well, never has there been a more glorious feeling in my entire being, body, and soul that when my climbing boot found purchase on that blessed solid rock around the corner. With a secure foothold, I shifted my weight and confidently pulled myself across and onto this newfound next level. From the triumphant, no, the truth be told, make that primeval scream of joy which I let out, you would have thought I had just summited Mount Everest, which for me, in this tiny moment of victory, I actually had. I had literally and figuratively turned a corner. Giddy with confidence, I even shouted encouragement to those coming next. Can you just see me? Come on, guys, it's not that bad. You can do it. (laughs) Much to their chagrin, I'm sure, especially of those braver and more skilled climbers who followed me and were much, much better climbers than me. But brimming with joy, relief, and exaltation, I again offered a short but very sincere prayer of thanks heavenward, and then I raised my my arms heavenward in celebration. Then I felt something else, and this time I felt something physical. But it was not until I made that upward motion that I realized there was so much more to my successful crossing of the Wall Street step across. Because the moment I put my arms up and felt the taut pull of the rope securely fastened by a figure-eight knot looped through the carabiner in my climbing harness, I glanced over at Jack, who flashed me one of those I-told-you-could-do-it smiles. And as I watched him get ready to belay the next climber in our group, I realized that it was his belay that had held me securely through the entire move. In fact, I'm sure I could have uh, dived headfirst into that Wall Street gap because he was holding me so tightly and still not even held, had a scratch on me. But he gave me just enough slack in the rope to let me do it on my own. And although in my anxiety I had completely forgotten about this protection and could not see him or even sense, them, sense him, he was literally there to save me from the fall. Now, similar protections are promised you by the Lord, which are even more sure and secure than even the stoutest climbing rope. Our Savior and seasoned guide promises, there I will be also, for I will go before your face, and I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts, and mine angels round about you to bear you up. 
That simple test gave me courage to go on and face other challenges, including, believe it or not, a return to Wall Street. Now, against my better judgment, but with the always obedient encouragement of my wife, Linda, and with my newfound confidence, we actually made it a family tradition, a rite of passage to climb the Grand Teton with each of my children to celebrate their high school graduations. And this was one time where I was so thankful I only had three kids. And although I still have a chronic case of the willies when I'm at those heights, I have indeed become braver and bolder with each return trip. My confidence in myself and in my God has grown exponentially. The legendary mountaineer Sir Edmund Hillary expressed it another way when he said, it is not the mountains we conquer, but ourselves. Dr. Seuss, in his infinitely wise and whimsical way, also attested to your better-than-you-know-it abilities when he wrote, And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that'll scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three-quarter percent guaranteed. Kid, you'll move mountains. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. Your mountain is indeed waiting and ready to tackle. And as you take it on, you will find that inner and yet-to-be-discovered strength by combining the formidable tandem of courage and faith combined with God's promise of protecting and enabling blessings. And that's even better, by the way, than Dr. Seuss's because it's 100% guaranteed, and especially as we live worthily of those promised blessings. Now, President Oaks explained more about how this formula works when he said, Nothing is impossible to those who keep God's commandments and follow his directions. But the blessings that carry us over obstacles do not precede our efforts. They follow them. What do we do when we face obstacles in the fulfillment of our righteous responsibilities? We reach out and climb. Handholds will only be found by hands that are outstretched. Footholds are only for feet that are on the move. The blessings that solve problems and carry us over obstacles come to persons who are on the move. My dear brothers and sisters, I ask you today to ask yourself just one question. Is your life on the move? And if not, why not? Whether you find yourself shuffling or skipping up the covenant pathway, it really doesn't matter. Being in gear does. And as you face the hard and uphill road ahead, please remember that you are not alone. We all face different yet similar trials. As a reminder, Periodically, please remember, when you look up at Why Mountain, ask yourself the question, Why Mountains? My prayer is that you'll remember that they are there not to befuddle us, but to bless us. May we also remember the matchless example of our guide, Jesus Christ, who went first and showed us that more perfect way. And as he beckons you to take your turn and climb, may you rally the courage and faith to do it on your own, while at the same time relying fully on the absolute certainty of that heavenly belay. Finally, remember that it's likely you will face mountains of doubt 
and faith sufficient to move mountains and sometimes have both experiences in the very same day. But I pray that you'll have the vision and fortitude that when you encounter deterrents, be they mountains or molehills, that you will see them for the heaven-sent opportunities they are, that you will charge headlong into them, seeking those summits, offering views glorious beyond description, and bravely and confidently declaring, as Caleb of old, Lord, give me this mountain. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.